We are in a series, it's called Unleashed. And if you missed last week, you can go catch that online as we talk about what it looks like to live a life with open-handed, just open-handed living as we do that. Instead of our stuff having a grip on us, uh, right, we want to loosen our grip and allow the Lord just to, uh, just, to, just to work through our lives as a channel of blessing for others. Let me ask you a question. In, in light of uh, the testimony that you just heard and the incredible ministry uh, that we are, are, are supporting and that we are so proud to be a partner with, with uh, Sea of Hope Ministries, what do you think the number one thing that Americans worry about what do you think the biggest thing we worry about and concern ourselves is? What do you think it is? It is money. Um, 66% recent poll, 66% of Americans, we say that we worry on a regular basis. In fact, I won't ask you to raise your hands, but I would say that probably if I asked you to raise your hands, a majority of hands would go up because those that have it worry about losing it. Right? We might worry about losing it. Those that don't have it or have enough of it, uh, you know, we worried about are we going to have enough? And what I've been praying for you in this series and what I've been praying for all of us and praying over us, even praying this this morning, is that wherever you are, I don't know what your status is in that particular issue. Whenever it comes to finances, it relates to every person here. And I don't know where you are. I don't know what you're dealing with. I don't know what your struggle is or what your issue. What I pray is that God would be the comforter this morning to you. I pray that you uh, would find comfort where you need to find comfort through the Holy Spirit. There'll be some of us that we need the Holy Spirit to bring Holy Spirit conviction to us. If there are some things where we need to grow and we want to change Remember, we want to be a church that helps you grow in your discipleship, and discipleship encompasses every part of our lives, even the way that we relate to our finances. It's a big part of God's word over and over again. We find that Jesus talked about the way we relate to finances. One out of every five things that are recorded that he said had to deal with that. Over 2,350 places in scripture deal with uh, our, the way we relate to money and finances and possessions. Uh, it's like God said, we better put it on every other page because they're not going to get it. And we need to keep kind of driving this point home to understand what that looks like. And so my prayer for you is that you would find comfort, you would find conviction, you would know that your identity is not tied to what you have or what you do not have, that you would understand that if you're a follower of Jesus, you are a son and daughter of God, amen, R regardless of where you are, is that, the, that you would open your heart and allow the Lord to speak into your life today. And again, I don't know where you are in this situation whenever it comes to your finances, but I know for some of us, and my, part of my story I'll share with you is that I made some bad choices early on that kind of led my family, and, and whenever I got married, led my family to put us in a bad place to where we were already kind of behind the eight ball for a while until we learned some new ways to begin to relate to finances. And uh, some of you, maybe that's your story. Some of you, maybe it's that you just uh, had something bad happen, and it's put you in a difficult position that was out of your control, and it was something that happened, and now you're struggling in that. Again, my prayer is that the Lord would, would speak to you and meet each of you as he, as, as he so perfectly can for every person that's here. And so as we talk about this today, I don't know where you'll be as I read these statistics to you. And my reading of the statistics is not to shame anybody or to make, make you be like, thanks, Bart, for, for reminding me of where I'm at, you know. Um, but, but it is to get 
kind of an idea of what the financial landscape looks like within our nation right now. And so, by the way, 70, excuse me, 84% of Americans are worried about the economy. That is as a recent of a, uh, a poll that was taken in, it was actually two days before Christmas. 84% are worried about it. 71% said in this recent poll that they didn't expect uh, for it to recover uh, or rated it as poor, excuse me, a little more than half said they didn't expect for it to recover. Now, as we continue in this, there's just some interesting statistics, and these are very recent. Forbes, an article that I read in Forbes this week, speaking about this, okay, this wasn't a Christian uh, article or anything like this, said this, that 78% of Americans are living paycheck to paycheck, okay? And again, I don't know where you fall within that, but what statistics would bear is that that would be many, many of us, okay? Um, 49% are in in credit card debt to such an extent that they're not able to pay it off. And so there's a revolving balance that continues to accrue. And, and 56% um, can't pay for a $1,000 emergency. So what happens, and many of us know this, and maybe this is what you've had to do because you had to do what you had to do. When an emergency happens, we end up having to finance our emergencies, Right? A lot of us have done that before. I, I had to do that at a certain point before I understand, understood some things that began to change my outlook regarding finances in my life. Now, we are a multi-generational church. We are multi-socioeconomic, which means some who are here that maybe you are in a position where you're, you're very wealthy and God has blessed you. And I pray that if that is you, that you would not check out, but maybe you would be in a position where you would just be really grateful for the place that God has put you in. There are also those who are here today where you're really struggling in this area. We're also a multi-generational church, which is a good indication of a church that's healthy. We're not all really old. We're not all really young. There's a good mix here. So, so, but this is what I need you to know. As a pastor that's trying to teach, um, it, it's challenging to me at certain times because sometimes I feel like if I, if I focus on one particular group, I can leave a whole other section out. So this is, this is what I really asked the Lord to help me with. I, I interviewed some of our, uh, and talked with some of our younger generation about how they're feeling about finances. I also read some articles about, about millennials and Gen Z and the manner in which they view finances. And these are some of the things that were said. 60% of millennials, that's 27 to 42, that's many of you who are here, believe that they will die with debts that they will never be able to repay. That, that is a view that many are holding. This isn't a Christian poll. This is just people in general, the landscape in our nation today. Um, 65% of Gen Z, that's the generation that's younger than millennials. That's the age my daughter is in her 20s. 65% of Gen Z, 74% of millennials say they believe that they are starting further behind financially than earlier generations. Like, it's like kind of where we're at right now. They feel like they're a little bit kind of behind the eight ball already. Many of them feel like, now here's words that I kept reading in these interviews and I even heard by talking to some who are even in our own church. Here's two words that kept coming up. Impossible, the word impossible like to catch up. And another word was hopeless. So there is a sense of hopelessness. 
And as a pastor, my heart was really aching, especially as we talk about this, because it can be really polarizing. And one of the things, there's some that might feel like as we begin to talk about this, that you may start to feel ashamed. And I want you to know that if there's shame that begins to happen there, that's not of the Holy Spirit. Okay? So there's not an intent to shame in any way. Wherever you are, I want you to know that God loves you. You are of value. You are of worth. Wherever, whatever you're struggling with today, I'm telling you the Lord has something for you today. But there are also some biblical principles that I want you to know because part of my story is I didn't know these biblical principles because nobody taught them to me as a part of my discipleship. Now, if we are pressing in deeper as a church into discipleship, we need to understand that discipleship encompasses all of our lives. It's not just how much you know the Bible about whatever you want to pick. It encompasses, I would say it would encompass some of the biggest parts of our lives, which includes the way that we relate to money, the way that we relate to our finances. That's why the Lord put it so much within here uh, for us. So what I want you to know is, regardless of where you are, there is an empathy here for you. I don't know what your status is, but I know that our Father does, and I know that He's a comforter. I also know He will bring Holy Spirit conviction, not shame. Holy Spirit conviction is different because as He begins to correct us with His Word, we have an opportunity to realize where we were wrong, and then we begin to follow the ways of Jesus because He begins to show us what that looks like. That's a good thing in our lives. That's not a bad thing within our lives. But this is what I know. When our beliefs about anything, but let's just say our beliefs in context of this, about finances are a certain way that align more with what the world has to say about finances, our behaviors are going to follow after that. And that was my story. That was how I started. I was already a believer. I became a Christian as a teenager. But again, the, church, the churches that we went to were not bad churches. But what I mostly remember, anytime anybody would talk about anything that was financial, it always related to giving, which is a part of it. But I don't remember hearing about the other aspects of what Scripture says regarding money. I don't remember hearing that. I don't remember anybody discipling me or attempting to disciple me or teach me. They were discipling me in other areas. So this one specific area was an area that I, I, I really just had a lot of ignorance about. And, uh, and so this was the case. This was my story. What we're talking about is what does it look like to live unleashed? What does it look like not to be in bondage to something, but to live in such, an, to, in such a way that I can, I can move into the very things that God is leading me to or calling me to, and he has a calling on each of our lives. But what often will happen is we will short-circuit the calling because we make some mistakes. A lot of times in this particular area, we'll make a mistake, and then we are not able to do the things that God has called us to do. What does it look like to live unleashed? For some of you, unleashed might be that you are unleashed from your love of money. Because as Jesus talked about this, right, and he talked about it often, what we discover in Scripture is that money is not bad, but a love of money is what leads us into sin, okay? Um, and so maybe living unleashed is that you realize you've been living a little bit of a delusion in thinking that you don't love money, but God may show you, no, you really, you treat it like it's a, a God in your life. You treat it as the place where you find your identity, 
You treat it as the place where you find your security. You look to it more than you look to me. Maybe that's how God would move in setting some of us free. Maybe for some of us, we'll begin to relate to debt differently. And we'll maybe realize that we have been indebted so much that we're slave to the lender rather than being free and able to do the things that God has called us to do. Maybe for some, it may look like God's calling you to be more generous. And you're going to trust him to be more generous in the way that you live. Not just what you give only in the context of the place where you worship, but as you live your life, when you're going about your daily life and you, you see someone that God puts them on your heart and maybe you want to do something about it, but you're afraid to do something because you realize you've, you're kind of leashed in some other areas. I don't know what it's going to mean for you, but this is what I do know because part of my story is that I shackled hope and myself financially from the get-go in our marriage because I did not understand how and I didn't know how to relate rightly to money. I had a discontentment issue early on. But this is what I want you to know. This is a big principle right here. Jesus did not set us free from our sins so that we can be enslaved to something else. You didn't get set free by Jesus to be enslaved to something else that would shackle you, okay? And, and again, our story, now Hope married me. We were 21 when we got married. We were still in college. She graduated. I still had a year because I was on a little longer plan than she was, okay? Um, but, but here's the reality in that I started, I got my first credit card in the mail when I turned 18, and I didn't really understand what was going on. In fact, they told me on that letter that I got that I was special, okay? <laughs> we found out that I was, <laughs> okay? And so I, I started using that thing. I just didn't really know. And, and again, um, nobody had taught me about that. And so I, I started getting in debt while we were in college. Hope went ahead and married me anyway. I did tell her beforehand, you're marrying a guy with debt. Now, what I like to say is she didn't marry me for my money. Had to have been my good looks. That's why she decided to marry me, okay? Some of you doubt that. But, um, but what I want you to know is that because we didn't know the biblical principles that we're going to talk about for a few moments here, we didn't know those things. And because I'm a competitive person, I would look around, compare myself to others, compare ourselves to other couples, maybe that had more or whatever. And, and for some reason, I thought that Hope and I should have just as much as my mom and dad had, even though it took them their whole life to get it. And so we started charging things. Now, this is what I would tell you, a formula that I, that I developed this week. This was me. Biblical ignorance plus discontentment equaled financial bondage. I thought, that's me. Okay? Biblical, and I'm, I'm not good at math, okay? But, but I'm, I can do words. But this is what that equal to financial bondage for us. We were leashed. And I'm going to tell you guys, we started EVC 25 years ago. You can do the math, okay? I'm 53. We were 28, 29 at the time. And, and it is a miracle of God that EVC, we were able to start EVC. Because we were in such poverty because of 
poor choices that we made. I was working multiple jobs. I was working on my master's at the same time, too. Um, Hope had a job. We had a son at the time, Luke, who was two. All of this was going on, but God called us to plant the church. Now, a couple years after we started EBC, I wanted out. (laughs) I tried to leave I wanted to leave EVC. I felt like God was calling me to plant churches in North Africa. My wife did not feel the same calling. She was right. Thank God we're still here. But this is what I will tell you, that if she did feel like God was calling us to do this, the mission-sending agency that would have sent us told me at that time that they could not use us because we had too much debt. Leashed. Do you hear me? We would not have been able to do what God had led us to do. Now, it worked out. We've stayed here for 25 years. It was the better thing to do. I listened to my wife and quit trying to run from my problems. But what I want you to know is that it, I, I led us into that unhealthy relationship with debt. My beliefs about money were producing behaviors that were leading us into a place where we were shackled. We've been set free by Jesus, but we weren't free to do the things that oftentimes he would lead us to do. It wasn't until I was in my 30s that somebody actually came along. We, as a church, started going through something called Crown Financial Ministries, and someone started to, here's a word, disciple me and show me what the Bible has to say about a lot of these things. And through a process, it was not overnight. It took, actually, it took a long time. It took a long time to be disciplined and to change our way of thinking. Now, I want you to know, as I was leading this church as a pastor, I never felt like I could talk about these kinds of things. I was embarrassed. I was embarrassed. I felt like I had no integrity in this area. I felt like I couldn't speak about it. Now, I do want you to know that we always were generous and we always gave, but all the other areas I had no, I had no, like, level foot. I just felt like I couldn't talk about it. And so through a process of beginning to work through some things and learning some of the basic biblical principles of stewardship that are all in God's word. He gives us these things in his word not to make our life harder or to make us feel worse about it. Do you know one of the biggest things is understanding that you have a heavenly father that loves you? And that wants to provide some guardrails and some guidance in your lives to keep you out of the ditch instead of to run you in the ditch. And so anyhow, our story is also one that we know is a story of redemption. Because God can redeem even some of our biggest mistakes. And that was one of my biggest and one of my biggest flaws. And I need you to know that I still at certain times struggle with discontentment. And then the Lord, I have to repent and I have to come back to remembering who I am in Christ. And I I just want you to know, there are some important basic principles of discipleship. One of them last week was understanding this. Everything that we have is God's. Everything that that we possess, it's his. And what he does in his loving way is he calls us to be managers over it. What's called a steward someone who manages and takes care of it and uses it in the manner that falls in line with the discipleship as we follow Jesus. Here's another part of this. God's word is our authority whenever it comes to this. Because 
in my head, when I look at certain things, I'm not going to like it. So I have to have a higher authority. My feelings, there are going to be days I don't feel like doing some of the things that require discipline as I follow in discipleship. Just like you go to the gym, right? You don't feel like doing it, but discipline means you go ahead and do some of those things. Or whatever it might mean for you. God's word has to be the authority. Remember what we've learned about God's word in discipleship. What we know about God's word, it, it shows us the truth. It shows us what we really need to see. And it will help us whenever we are wrong. It will show us when we're wrong. And it will show us how to get back on the way of Jesus. This is 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. And it will show us how to stay on the way of Jesus. And that includes how we relate to our finances. And he does this because he's a loving father that loves to give us good instruction. Because he wants you to flourish as, and, and, and to live an abundant life. I'm not talking about a get-rich quick scheme. I'm not talking about if you do these things, you're automatically going to be rich. Don't misunderstand me. That's not what I'm saying today. What I'm saying is, is you're going to have right relationship with God. Now, some of you, you may begin to see some wealth that happens in your life, but I'm not going to promise that to you because that's not what the scripture says. You just need to do a heart check today and see how you relate with scripture, okay? Another part of this is that discipleship is a process. You heard me say it, our financial landscape did not change overnight. It took a lot of time and a lot of sacrifice. It took a lot of doing things that we didn't really want to do. It took a lot of, oh, this is a crazy idea, starting to live within our means. By the way, it said that the average American spends $1.22 to every $1 that we make. It's clear to see that that boat won't float for very long. I'm not saying that's you. I'm just saying the average kind of landscape, financial landscape, because we have contentment issues. So again, the, the root word of discipleship is discipline. Some of you may get wealthy if you begin to practice some of these things. You might, but that's not the goal of discipleship, is that you become wealthy. What's the goal of discipleship we've been talking about over and over again? That you are like Jesus, right? That you grow even in the way that you relate to finances. That's the goal. Isn't it interesting, though, that God will use the area of our finances maybe more than anything else to test us in our discipleship? I said last week, there is nothing that will derail us quicker in our discipleship than the way that we relate to money. Because Jesus talks about it in Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, Jesus says this. Now today's, again, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you a few different passages today. I really kind of like to camp out in one, but this is a little more topical today. But I want you to see in Matthew 6, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says these words. Can we bring that passage up, please? Matthew 6, 24. No one can serve two masters. He's talking about following him. To a group of people on a mountainside, what does it look like to begin to follow Jesus? And then he's going to say, no one can serve two masters. For you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to the one and despise the other. Say the next part with me out loud. You cannot, come on, serve God and be enslaved to money. Another way that translates is you, you, you can't serve God and mammon or money. Okay? You can't do it. Jesus could have picked anything else to put in the place of money there. He could have picked anything. 
But it's the inspired, God-breathed word that he said, I know what your biggest temptation is going to be to follow more than me. It's going to be, you're going to be tempted to love this. You're going to be tempted to treat it as an idol. You're going to be tempted in this regard. So Jesus calls us to serve him and to live a life unleashed. Well, what are some strategies biblically? Okay, let me give you some here. Some biblical financial strategies. Now, please don't hear me saying this is a get-rich-quick deal. It's not. This is just beginning to follow the Bible and what it says in looking like a disciple and beginning to bring your beliefs about finances into alignment with God's so that your behaviors begin to follow that. Beliefs, you start with beliefs and you got to roll with behaviors. So here is one that we need to start with. I'm going to make a choice and the choice is I'm going to earn my income with integrity. Say, why do you start right there? Because here is the deal. When we get under financial pressure, which a lot of us are, according to statistics, most of us are. Under some kind of pressure, when we are under pressure, we begin to find out more about our character. And you are going to be more tempted when you are under financial pressure. You're going to be tempted to compromise your values quicker. When you are under pressure financially, you are going to be tempted to lie to close a business deal instead of following Jesus. When you are under pressure financially, you're going to be tempted to cheat on an expense report. When you're under pressure, right, as many of us would, would probably acknowledge, when you're under that kind of pressure, you're going to be more inclined to neglect your family, which is not a principle of God because you're chasing something else. Maybe you want to do, you're trying to do right by your family, but maybe you are neglecting your relationship with God and you're neglecting your relationship with your wife or your kids or both or whatever. We will do these certain things many times when we're more under pressure. There are people all the time who make mistakes in this area that leads them into sinful behavior, right? Leads us into sinful behavior because we feel that pressure and we oftentimes will choose money over what God has told us is the right way. Rather than acting in an ethical behavior that might cost you a business deal up front, it might cost you, right, up front. Rather than that, we, uh, we'll, end up, we'll end up cheating or lying or something like this. And I just, this is what I want you to hear. This is so important, okay, because remember, we're trying to get out of the ditch or stay on the path God will not bless that. He will not bless unethical behavior. He will not bless you as a follower of his choosing to do completely opposite of what he teaches us to do in the basics, right? He won't bless that kind of behavior. Now, you might have a short-term deal where it's like, hey, that's good, but right, where you, you see maybe a short-term benefit and, and it feels good at the moment, but God's not going to bless that behavior. I want you to know that. Maybe, maybe you living unleashed is deciding, I'm going to start doing things ethically. Even if it costs me up front, I'm going to trust that God's going to take care of me. I'm going to trust that God's going to bless me acting ethically as I, and morally as I, re, as I relate to this. When we do it the other way, what we're doing is we're saying, I'm in control, God. You're not. 
But this is surrendering and saying, Lord, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust. We're going to do things the right way. We're going to represent Jesus well. You heard me say last week, pastors have done a horrible job. Some churches have done a horrible job because we've not acted ethically or we've not acted transparently. We've not done things well. And what does it end up doing? It ends up wrecking things. And this is what we know. Okay, so here's one of those. Proverbs 20, 23. The Lord detests double standards. He is not pleased by dishonest scales. What that means is he's not pleased with unethical behavior of his people. He's not going to bless that kind of behavior. Maybe the best thing you could do today is get yourself blessable. And what that may mean is there may need to be some repentance today. And the Lord will welcome that repentance, and he forgives that, and he restores that, and he redeems that. Here's another part of getting blessable. Another part of this, of a strategic way of living unleashed, is I'm going to make a choice from the get-go to trust God, and I'm going to give God, I'm going to give God my first and my best. And what some of us would be like, oh, here we go. L- listen to me. I am not a pressure preacher. If you've been around, you know that, but I am going to teach you the truth. And what you find, some of you are like, oh, you're going to get into the legalism of this. No, I'm not. (laughs) What I'm going to tell you is that before Levitical law ever came about, there were people who were already giving, choosing to give God first and best. Go all the way back to the first family, Cain and Abel. One gave worshipfully the very best that he had, the first and best. The other one We don't know what was going on there, but it was clear that there was something that was wrong in his heart so much that it led him. God wasn't pleased. He got, he compared with his brother. Next thing you know, he's murdering his brother. We see how that goes, right? It's it's the first story. Follow Abraham's story. Abraham gave first and best. He gave a tenth part. That's called a tithe. First and best. Now, if you want to get really legalistic and follow that Levitical law. And there are some that will criticize me because I won't get legalistic about it. There'll be some that will criticize me for bringing it up, right, at all because we don't want to hear it at all. But if you follow the Levitical law, it will it, follow that out. It goes to about, actually, Old Testament, about 23.3%. All of a sudden, 10% doesn't sound that bad. It's a lot less than the government asks of you. God doesn't need our money. We're not going to beg you for it here. Our hope as your pastors, as leaders, is to coach you in such a way, right? And I'm not going to tell you that if you you give this, you're going to get prosperous. We are not prosperity gospel, but we are also not poverty gospel. We want to be, we want to be biblical is what we want to be. And we want to follow Jesus. And what I know is that our discipleship is tied to open hands and generosity. And God loves to bless when we give first and best. Look at this passage here, Proverbs 3, 9 and 10 says this, honor the Lord with your wealth and with the best part of everything you produce. That word where it says best part, that's actually first fruits. They were an agrarian society so it's a, it was a sacrifice, right? Bring the first. Bring the best. Don't give God leftovers. Give him what's best. Now, where it says honor, the word honor literally means in the original language to give weight in light of one's worth. So if you give leftovers, what you're saying is you're a leftover kind of God. 
If you give first and best, you're saying, you're first in my life. And secondly, I trust you to take care of me, that I can live better on the other part where I've given first and than me living off of all of it, me collecting it all for myself. This is called returning it to God, returning it to him. It's, and so again, I just want to teach you this, that this is a principle. There's another principle that we see. And I, I love this passage of scripture in Malachi, okay? And I know that there'll be some, and, and it's true. This is about God's covenant with Israel, and I know that. I, I, I love the greater context of that. It's true. There's a, there is a, a principle uh, here that I want you to see, though, that even with God's people here, this is about their covenant, but I want you to see that that following the Lord and being generous and trusting him and giving, there is something that, that there's something that is there with our hearts. The Lord says this. There's this dialogue that goes back and forth. I am the Lord and I do not change. The economy will change. We change. God says, I stay steadfast in your life. Money will fly away. We talked about that last week, right? That's why there's wings on the dollar bills. It flies away, okay? And then he says, that's why you descendants of Jacob, that's Israel, are not already destroyed. He's saying, because I made a promise to you. I promised you in a covenant. Ever since the days of your ancestors, you have scorned my decrees and you have failed to obey them. He said, I've given you grace in spite of that. Now look at what he says. Now return to me. What that means is repent, means change your attitude. Return to me. And the Lord says, and I will return to you, says the Lord of heaven's armies. But you ask, how can we return when we have never gone away? So they are self-deluded here. They have, they've kind of gone away. They don't even realize that they've, that they've gone away from the Lord in this. It goes on, and, and they say this in verse 8. Should people cheat God? That's what God says. Yet you have cheated me. But you ask, what do you mean? When did we ever cheat you? See, they still don't know. And then God says, you've cheated me of the tithes and offerings that are due to me. Now, again, I want to tell you, God doesn't need their money. God doesn't need our money, but God says there's something that is tied to your heart in this. And this is what he says. He says, as a result of this, you're under a curse, for your whole nation has been cheating me. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse so there will be enough food in my temple. If you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I will open the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great you won't have enough room to take it in. And then I love this. It's the only place where God tells Israel to test him. He says, try me. Test me. Put me to the test. And then he says, your crops will be abundant. For I will guard them from insects and disease. He says, I will protect you when you trust me first. I am your provider when you trust me first. Okay, as he's telling them this, there's application for us. Your grapes will not fall from the vine before they are ripe, says the Lord of heaven's armies. Now, I love this part right here. And he said, let me tell you why I want to bless you. Then all the, what does that say? Nations. We'll call you blessed, for your land will be such a delight, says the Lord of heaven's armies. 
You know, one of the things that we've been saying for at least around 10 or 11 years here at EBC, God gave a vision to me. I shared with our other leaders. They believed in this. We want to lead EBC. That's you. That's not just me. I'm a part of it. We want to lead EBC to be one of the most generous churches of our generation. And do you know what that means? We want to give more away than we keep right here. We want to give. We want the nations to call us blessed because as we do that, do you realize we've we've been called to make a difference. That's what begins. Instead of churches looking greedy, like we're just in it for us, we want to give away. We want to give more into our community. We want to give more around the world. We want to give more into Sea of Hope. We want to give into those places where the gospel, where the gospel needs so desperately to go. I want you to know you've been generous. Do you know that? That, is, that when we started casting that vision, we're not at that 51% mark yet. We're, we're moving that way, okay? But this is what I want you to know. Because of your generosity, those of you who have been giving into EBC Go Gift, and you did it last year and the year before, I want you to know that in that 10 or 11-year span that there have been 28 churches that we have partnered with in planting new works here in North America, part of which Canada is included in that. There, and and I'll, I'll even include Central America too because Honduras is included. 28 new churches that we've been able to invest in and partner because of your generosity. <laughs> By the way, those are because we don't give to churches that don't plant other churches. You hear me? <laughs> I tell every church planner that we partner with, are you, are you, are you going to plant churches? Because if you're not, it's a dead end. We give to churches that are plant, going to plant other churches. So that's, we have three that we potentially could begin to support this year. Um, but that's contingent upon how Go Gift goes, okay? No pressure. No, just letting you know. But seriously, I want you to know that. But that doesn't even include what you've given into other places in other parts of the world. We started uh, uh, supporting work in Senegal, which is a highly Muslim nation in northwest Africa. Oh, by the way, the place, one of the places that I thought God was calling me to 20-something years ago, we're there now. But here, I'm just a pastor here sending out, okay? And, um, and so we started supporting a ministry there. And uh, a couple of years ago, they invited me to come to one of their church planner graduations. And while we were there, we were able to give them over 600 Bibles that they will take into these villages in their language. We sponsored $8,400. This is incredible. For a six-month period, train 30 church planters and their wives to go into places all over Senegal into areas where, listen to me, brothers and sisters, they face persecution for telling people about Jesus. They're going into the hardest places, places that maybe many of us would never dare to go, but their lives are on the line, and you invested in that. So over the last two years, we've been able to send out 60 church planters that are going all over Senegal. We are also doing this in, uh, they asked me to speak there, and they were translating it into four different languages. It was the hardest time I ever had, okay? Um, so that message was four times as long. There you go, all right, now, it was rough. But, but in, in India, we are doing the same thing in India because of you, because of you giving into that. These are the most recent church planner graduation. We did the same thing, sponsoring 30 for a six-month period where they can focus on being trained and taught properly. And now they are going out. We help them get bicycles so they can ride into some of the areas where vehicles cannot get to. 
And they are going in and they are also facing great persecution. They sent me an email this week saying to pray for them. They didn't ask for money. They asked for prayer from you and from me because they are being persecuted severely in India right now for the gospel. Now, do you want to hear how many they graduate each year in India? 2,000 church planners every year. We support 30. We've done, I think, either 60 or 90, somewhere in there. I hate to misquote uh, on that. But I know that it's at least 60. It could be 90. But I just want you to know that whenever we bring that in like that, that's where that goes, is into that. It's partnering together. And our dream is for EVC to impact the world Right? It's not just to be our own little kingdom here. The, these are the church planter wives. They're giving a sewing machine, okay? And, and, and they get a sewing machine and they learn that trade so they can support themselves as they are going about doing what they're doing. It's an, it's an unbelievable ministry. So we're not begging you for money. We're telling you opportunities. We want you to know, if you want to partner with us, this is what I'm trying to tell you. God invites us into the partnership of the gospel. He invites us. He doesn't pressure. He invites you. And so you pray about that going into this next week. Here's another way to live unleashed, all right? I got to start planning my spending. I got to start planning my spending. 70% of Americans live by their financial impulses, not by a plan. Do you know this? The reason that I got ourselves in such a jam is because if you don't know this about me, I'm a little spontaneous. Uh, I'm, a, I'm, a little, I'm a bit of a wild man sometimes. I agree to things without thinking things through. I'm impulsive. And I know some of you are in that same place. So this is what we have to start doing. We have to start. It's not just about working hard. You want to work hard, but you got to have a plan for what your income is. Look at Proverbs 21.5. Good planning and hard work lead to prosperity, but hasty shortcuts leads to, and we were there. Now, here's the deal. I used to have to go places to go shopping. Actually, I picked up the wrong thing. Um, used to have to go places to be impulsive. The places have come to us now. Hello on some Amazon Prime. We love it, right? Now it's right here at my fingertips. And they will bring anything to you. It's so much easier just to go, I don't even have to go there, man. Click, click, you know. A little more debt, whatever it may be, okay. Or, or maybe it's not debt. Maybe it's just, oh, my goodness, I'm, we're way over our plan, way over our budget. Did you see this? Good planning and hard work. It's not just hard work. There has to be planning that goes with it. I have known many hard workers who had no plan and they still stayed in poverty. I was one of them. Okay? Because I just didn't know what to do with it. And I loved to spend and I loved me some stuff. So Hope and I, we gave. We, we were gen because, well... I was the pastor, okay? We gave, we did the other things, we worked hard, but we didn't have a plan for a while. Instead, we were led by impulses. And this is what I have determined, okay? Uh, by the way, where it says, 
hasty shortcuts lead to poverty, good planning, hard work leads to prosperity. You need to know about Proverbs is that they are principles that end up possibly mostly being true for you. They're not promises. So please don't think, I'm telling you, if you do this, you're going to get rich. What's the goal? It's not to get rich. The goal is to be like Jesus. The goal is to follow Jesus and to trust him in the process. This is living by a budget, not just a bank account. That many of us will live by a bank account. This is living by a plan, not the impulse of the moment. There are a number of great free apps or apps that you can even purchase that will help you do this. Hope and I started doing this with one called Mint that was a while back, and we started putting a plan together as someone who was helping us know how to do that. There's others. Some of you know other ones. There's Dave Ramsey's. It's called Every Dollar, and that one is a good one as well. That one, I think, it starts free, and there's some upgrades that you can pay for, but I think it's a worthy investment. It's about developing a plan, okay? Not just hard work, hard work with a plan. Here's an, another one. I got I to gotta save for my future, what, I, what that means is I need to save. This is, I know this is counter, this is revolutionary, counterintuitive. Living within my means is one part of this, but also understanding that accidents are going to happen. How many could pay for an accident when it happens and not finance it? And so you may be like, is it right to save? Doesn't that go contrary to what Jesus said? What did Jesus say? Don't store up for yourself treasures in heaven. You, you always should interpret Scripture with Scripture and take Scripture as the whole. Jesus, what he was talking about there is certainly we, we do invest in eternal things. That is important. But Jesus would also, in other places, talk about being wise and shrewd with finances. And part of that is saving. Part of that is doing right with that and managing it well. The Bible in Proverbs says this. Take a lesson from the ants, you lazy bones. I love when the Bible smack talks me, okay? Learn from ants. I started thinking, I hate ants, man. But you got to give them some props because they're busy. They're always, and they get in my house sometimes, and they're always taking something somewhere or whatever, and they'll bite you. So learn lesson from the ants. I'm not saying get in other people's houses and take things or bite them. That's not what we're saying. We're just saying, look what he says, learn from their ways, be resourceful, become wise. Though they have no prince or governor or ruler to make them work, they labor hard all summer gathering food for the winter. In other words, they understand that the emergency is going to happen. Many of them understand it far better than we do. You know what I'm saying? And so they go on and, they, and, it, and it says here, but you lazy bones... How long will you sleep? When will you wake up? A little extra sleep, a little more slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, then poverty will pounce on you like a bandit. Scarcity will attack you like an armed robber. Those things will not treat you well. Isn't that what it says? No plan, no foresight, no diligence. Poverty will pounce. That's what... That's what's being said. And I started thinking, again, I know people that work hard. It almost seems unfair to say, you lazy bones. I wonder what, what it could mean, too. What if, it is, what if it is where he talks about loving sleep? What if it's wake up? 
wake up and start doing things God's way because you've been or I've been apathetic to this for a while. What if that is it? What if that's what he's talking about? Lean times are going to happen. Kids are going to put marbles up their noses and you're going to have to go to the ER. Cars are going to break down. You know what I'm saying? It's like anticipate the problem. This is what is being said. So um, my son Luke told me I could tell this story. Luke is one of the hardest working persons I know. He's in the Navy right now on his way to Japan on a boat right now. But even before that, he worked really hard. While he was going to North Texas, he was living at home, working on his degree. But the rule was, if you live with us, not only are you going to be in school, you're going to have a job. And you're going to carry your weight. And he would, okay? And so he worked a lot of hours, but he lived at home, so he didn't have to pay for much of anything. We paid for his school, um, and we paid for a few other things. But at this point, it was like, you know, so he had this income that was coming in. Now, there was something that I started noticing is that Amazon started showing up about every 15 minutes at our house. Some of you can relate, okay? And uh, Luke would consistently lose his keys, and I'd be like, dude, do you have a spare key? No, Dad, I don't. Look, go down to Walmart, wherever, make a spare key. It'll cost you a couple bucks. Go make a bunch of them, okay? It's a worthy investment. He loses keys like once a week or whatever. One set of keys. Well, he lost his keys on one day. And, uh, in fact, his car was blocking mine in. Lost his keys. This time he couldn't find it. So I said, did you make a spare? No, Dad, I didn't make a spare. Dude, okay. Well, you're going to have to call a locksmith. They're going to have to come out. I'm going to be late now, you know. I might have been a little miffed. <laughs> but we're in the front yard. There may have been a little bit of a conversation that was happening, a discussion, fatherly, son. He was 19 at the time. I did the same kinds of things. But I said, you're going to have to call a locksmith. He said, I don't have the money for a locksmith. I said, you live at home. We pay for your school. What are you doing with your money? I kid you not, as I am telling him these things, Amazon drives up again. Gets out with a box. I'm like, who's that for? He's, and the Amazon guy's like. <laughs> I said, who's that for? Luke Howe. I said, Luke, what's in the box? What's in the box? He didn't want to open it. I said, open the box. What is in it that you don't have enough money that you can't pay for this? Now, I've got to pay for this. And with all the hesitation and hurt on his face and embarrassment, this was in the box. That was in the box. Now, there was a clear bowl, and I said... Now, as mad as I was, I couldn't help but laugh like you did. And I said, why? <laughs> now, I know one of you Star Wars nerds, because someone's already said it is, that's a sound investment. It's not if you can't pay for a spare key, okay? And so anyhow, I said, dude, what is this even about? Why? What is that for? And I started thinking, his name is Luke. Um, I may have, I can get 
a little bit into a smart aleck, and I may have said, Luke, I am your father. I mean, there was all kinds of fun stuff, you know. Stop giving him your money. And he said, I needed some place to put my, my mints. And I said, maybe you should start putting your keys right there, okay? Whatever. Point is, this was without a doubt, and I do want him looking over at you as we wrap this up, okay? <laughs> to remind some of you. Um, I don't know what your thing like that is, but I got so upset with him and I was angry with him. And can I tell you why I was angry with him? I was seeing in my son this very same patterns that got me into the place that got me into the ditch where I led my family. And I realized I had not even done a very good job of teaching my son about this area now, he gave and all this stuff, but I want you to know I didn't teach because I didn't feel like I had credibility. And so he was impulsive, like I'm impulsive. I did the same kinds of things, and I realized, you know, i got to do a better job of teaching my son, discipling my son. And so he's 27 now. He, uh, now, his mother, in this process, because I was like, I don't even know what to do with this. I don't know what to do, you know. I paid for the locksmith. He did pay me back, but I, but I just said, I don't know what to do. I feel like we're failing him here. And so Hope, <laughs> Hope said, we're going to start charging him rent. I said, Mama, you are tough. That's cold-blooded. You know, this is what we decided. We started charging him rent, but whenever it came time for him to move out, we were going to give all of that money back to him. But we didn't tell him. We tried to give it to him whenever he moved out. He said, I don't want it keep it in an interest-bearing account, and, and this is so that's what we, we did. He's 27 now. He was home at Christmas. I tried to give it to him again. He said, keep it, Dad. When I get out of the Navy, I'm going to need it. I'm going to need that. For that. I said, have you been saving money? Yeah, I've been saving money. So ladies, I want you to hear this. He's single. He's 27. <laughs> He's in the Navy. He works hard. He loves Jesus. He's single and ready to mingle, <laughs> and He's rich. Well, not rich, okay? But at least he understands how to work with money. Because I found out how much money he had, and I was like, can I borrow some money? <laughs> okay? But anyhow, just want you, just want you to know, okay? Um, but here is, here's what you need to hear in this. Proverbs 21.20 says, The wise have wealth and luxury, but fools spend whatever they get. Whatever they get. Maybe a wake-up moment for you. The very last thing is this is a big thing. you got to choose. Wherever you are, you have to choose contentment and gratitude. It's choice. It's a choice. That's not an income problem. Many of us don't have an income problem. Many of us have a heart problem. Do you, you may be like, man, you don't realize how bad we have it right now. And I don't. And I'm, I'm not minimizing that. But sometimes we need a little perspective. And I'm so grateful for hearing from our friends from St. Lucia today. And I also want you to know this. You can, if you want to find out really where you are as an American in the world today, you can go to, bring that slide up, you can go to givingwhatwecan.org and it will put you on a global rich list. 
what you'll find out is you plug in what your income level is, the amount of kids you have or whatever in your household income, and this is what you're going to find out is that you will be in the top percentage. I mean top, top percentage in the world. But what do we do in America? We get, our, we get these blinders on and we think, we think that God's holding out on us. So you got to press into contentment. You got to press into gratitude. God, I'm grateful. 